often when we're in the dark periods and maybe for the people that are listening that are in that right now, you know, we are just clawing our way to get to the light, but you just keep going forward, keep walking forward one foot in front of the next. And then you're going to start to see it. Those little cracks of light as they come through. And when your eyes adjust to the joyous moment on the other side, it's going to be that much brighter and that much more beautiful. Welcome to your Journey to Joy podcast. I'm your host, Moira Gorski, and I'm on a mission to help you find joy in the chaos of life. As a retired nurse, multi-passionate entrepreneur, and mom of four adult children, I know what it's like to feel the overwhelm of it all and wonder if and when the joy will show up again. And I've learned it's up to us to go find that joy. On this show, you will hear inspiring stories from those who have overcome all kinds of life challenges, tips on how to stay healthy and vibrant during the ups and downs of life, and simple ways on finding joy in your own life. Let's face it, life is messy, yet when we travel together on this journey, support and encourage each other along the way, that joy starts to show up again. I'm so excited to lead you on this journey of you to find the joyful life that you deserve. Well, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am your host, Moira Gorski, and uh, so glad that you're here to listen today. And uh, these are my some of my favorite days where I bring on my friends um, as guests and people that I've met along the way. And Sarah and I have known each other for a little bit and uh, have been meaning to get together to record, and um, it's finally here. So, you know, as as I've stepped into the second season and talking about joy and really uh, your journey into joy, it doesn't get rid of the stories that I shared before of people going through struggles. It's really that we're going to continue to share those stories and know that there are going to be struggles and there's going to be challenges, but we're going to be able to, we want the message to be that as we get through those challenges, we can go forward into finding things that bring us joy. And so my guest today is Sarah Ezrin. Uh, She is a wonderful soul, a beautiful, world-renowned uh, yoga instructor and educator, content creator. She's a mama of two uh, lovely children and the author of a, um exciting new book called The Yoga of Parenting. She's based in the San Francisco Bay Area. And she really loves to, and she's really good at gu- guiding people along their wellness and parenthood journey. Um, she shares just with classes, social media, her words, just very supportive and she provides these healing spaces for people to be seen and heard. So Sarah, I'm so glad and uh, really excited for you to be with me today. I'm so happy to be here. It, like as we were saying before, and you said in the intro, it has been a few years in the making. But if I can say one thing about the joy and the challenges is I think they inform each other, right? Like I think that the joys are that much greater because we get through the challenges to get to them. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, it all is interrelated, right? I know like you're the seasons, it may feel like things have shifted, but I think it's all interconnected. Mm, yeah. And for me, it just feels good to be talking about joy so much. And, um, mm. but like I said, I don't want us to say, well, it's all like, everything's great. Cause you know, everything isn't great, but it's, because there are those challenges along the way. But if we can find, even if they're little glimpses of joy or little glimpses that help to get us through to the next day, through that next challenge, then um, like I say, they're all interconnected. So we're not just here at the final, at the final place where it's all joyful and everything's great. It's just, it's a journey. 
Yeah, that's like exactly what I was going to say is what you just said. You said the ups and the downs, the ebbs and the flows, right? The waxes and the wanes. I think it's all cyclical. And, you know, I, part of the journey and part of the work is can you be as present in the challenge so that you are just as present for the joys? Mm. Because I think most of us are so uncomfortable in the uncomfortable periods or the lulls that we then do things to disconnect, um, you know, and and I know you and I know our my history um, is, is there's many different ways of doing that, but what ends up happening is unfortunately, then you kind of miss the joyous moments as well. So it really is learning to be present in all of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's it, how wonderful to celebrate joy, like let's be present in every single moment so that when those joyous moments come, we're not missing a beat. Right. Yeah. And yeah, you said it well, that again, when those, when those really chaotic times come, um, we can just we can disconnect or we choose to, we do things, we have these behaviors that cause us to disconnect because that's really, you know, perhaps it's learned behavior. We just don't know what else to do, or we feel like we're out of control. So we grab onto something else. that's just going to be like, forget it. I just want to forget about that for this time. But I believe that as we go through these, these seasons of healing and the life of healing that we can that healing, like you said, it brings us to a place of being able to be more present, mm-hmm. you know, be present with the joy, but also the darkness. I mean, I just told you before we went live that I was at a, you know, a spiritual self-care night last night. And one of the gals that I, that I met with, that's what she said. She said, yes, this is a beautiful time for you to continue with your message out there. And you're strong because of what you have gone through, which I totally agree with. But she said, when you're stronger, again, continue to expand out, but don't, she said, I believe this is the time for you to also look at those dark places and don't ignore them. She said, I feel like, and this was her intuition. I feel like maybe you haven't looked at those because you're going this way. You're looking at the dark places, but now that you're stronger, she said, I challenge you to not forget about those dark things. Sometimes look at those shadows and those dark things and, and whatnot. So, but just being present, you know, so, so important. It reminds me of Leonard Cohen real quick before. I know we haven't even gotten into yeah. the questions yet. This is like the <laughs> intro. We haven't even done anything. That's yet. all right. Um, but, but real quick, that Leonard Cohen line from the song Anthem, where, you know, it talks about the cracks, you know, that the, there's a crack in everything. That's where the light gets in, that it mm. is actually we wouldn't have light without the dark mm-hmm. and the darker, the darkness, the brighter, the light. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, they all inform the other and, you know, it, it is the willingness to go into the darkness so that when we step back out into the light, things are that much shinier and that much brighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. It's very, very good. Yeah. I love to have, again, people share their stories as much as they, much or as little as they're comfortable with. So I'd love for you to, because again, that helps us. Um, again, many people they have these stories, and it brings as they get through that that it brings them to where they are today and the the purpose and the 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 reason why they're doing what they're doing today. So I'd love for you to share your story of your struggles again, as much or as little as you'd like, just to have um, to have that again to have the story to have the context of where you've been. We connected because of the work that I do with Shackley and the work that you were doing with Shackley. And then as I always do, I check people out on social and I saw that you have an eating disorder history. And so again, I have a passion for sharing people's stories through the, that journey. And as they get through that and to show others that there's, 
there's hope and there's uh, there is chances for recovery and um, that you're not alone in that struggle. So again, I'd love to give the floor to you to have you share about that journey of yours. Well, thank you. And I appreciate you so much and this platform that you're building. And, you know, I don't know how much of your story you've given away, but I, I know it was a, you know, it was a personal endeavor for somebody that you care deeply about and, you know, look at how you're reaching out into the world now. And it's really spidered out. I mean, that's exactly what we were just talking about, right? Like it was, right. it was a dark period in your family that has now created light throughout the world with your offerings. So I just want to honor you. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. Um, You know, I've got many different stories, but, you know, speaking specifically about the body image issues and, you know, um, my long history. It's funny when you say, like you'd said, I have an eating disorder and then you said history, but I almost wanted to correct you because even though I am not restricting right now, I'm not binging and purging. I do feel very much like my eating disorder still informs my daily life. It's not as uh, it doesn't have the chokehold around me that it used to, but um, it definitely is still a part. And and especially now I'm when you're postpartum after having my second kid. Um, so there, you know, it's, it's coming up in different ways as I'm embracing this new body. Um, Cause it is an entirely different body than I've been in for the last, you know, 41 years. But of course, you know, we have to kind of go back to the beginning. And I think the beginning really was, around the time that, you know, I, and I like, I, I don't want to like blame my parents. I feel bad because I come on these podcasts and I'm like, good job, you know, but they, my parents <laughs> did an amazing job and they, you know, they, they did the absolute best that they could, but, you know, unfortunately it was the time that it was, which was, you know, late eighties, early nineties. My mom was a yo-yo dieter. She actually had started to sell for herbal life. Interestingly enough, mm which, you know, uh, is, is, a it's its own, you know, it's Shackley was like the, the healthy organic version of Herbalife. Mm -hmm, right. Herbalife was not Herbalife was, uh, at the time there was actually a Fedrin in the, in the pills mm. that she was taking. And, and she let me at nine years old, go on diet pills. And, you know, I, I know she was doing it because I was so uncomfortable in my body. I had been misdiagnosed with a mental illness and put on medication that had led to significant weight gain. So the body that I had when I was seven suddenly changed. And, you know, I mean, looking back, I don't, I don't see a big little girl, but it sure felt that way. I felt very bloated, very uncomfortable in my body. I mean, now I know in retrospect, it was in, you know, due in fact to the, that I was on this medication that was not right for me at a very young age. But weight gain was one of the side effects. So at nine years old, you know, I begged to also go on the diet with her and I started to take diet pills and it really just kind of went from there, this yo-yo dieting, um, you know, I, I got sent to a, a, uh, weight loss camp that I went to that I actually ended up having a great time at. And I'm, I'm really, really glad that I went because I actually have friends that I'm still friends with to the, you know, thanks to social media to this day. And it was really nice to go too, because, you know, you think that you're going to go and you're like, you know, the most overweight person there, but you, everybody's all different sizes, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, like, I don't even think it should be called a weight loss camp. Like it's, it you know, like let's turn it. I, and I wish like that, you know, the weighing part was triggering because we were weighed um, and the food obviously was monitored, but I think just being there together in a safe space where we weren't considered, you know, the the chubby kid and forgive the the trigger word. I know that's a hard word for people, you know, or the overweight kid. 
um, that we were in a space where we were all normal, you know, um, and thinking back, it was normal bodies. Like that's the part that kind of boggles my mind the most, you know, was that there was quite a few of us there that were slender, um, or, you know, this, you know, slightly overweight at best. Um, so it was interesting and, you know, but that obviously all started to feed into this young narrative. And then as the years went on, I, I ended up, you know, when I hit puberty, I, I, and I got off the meds, I then was the natural body that my body wanted to be. I shot up in height. I lost, you know, the weight naturally came off. I, and somebody had told, told me like, oh, that's going to happen. You're going to end up like your mom and your dad, you're going to be tall and you're going to be slender. And I didn't believe them, but that's exactly what happened. But by that point, the little girl, that little eight-year-old and that little 10-year-old, you know, at, at camp, that had been solidified in my brain as who I saw whenever I looked in the mirror. So although I was, I was skinny to the point of underweight, I couldn't see it at all. Hmm. And most of high school, I was just like, it, it, I didn't, I wasn't concerned with my eating to the point where I wasn't eating at all. <laughs> you know, we were, I was like smoking two packs a day and we were having a very good time, uh, you know, uh, almost didn't graduate that good of a time, but it was college where that's when I started to control my food. And it was really towards the end of college that it be, that I started doing it because as we were coming to the end of college, I was entering adulthood. I was about to be thrown into the world that I was completely unprepared for. And I was not prepared for the world. And so I, you know, like we said in the beginning, I started to grab at what I could. And the thing mm -hmm. that I always went to when I felt out of control was my body and my food. And whether I had been aware of it or not, I'd had all these years of, you know, disordered eating. And so it was my senior year of college where I ended up, you know, almost being hospitalized. I would have been hospitalized. I probably should have been hospitalized. I negotiated my way out of it and asked to do um, an outpatient program at instead, we were living in LA at the time. So I would have been an inpatient at UCLA, but I negotiated outpatient and I'd go multiple days out of the week and got myself into a program. And, you know, I would like to say that was it. And then we were done and everything was healed, but unfortunately what ended up happening or, you know, or fortunately, however you want to look at it is that mm -hmm. my restricting my restricting always had a, an element of out of control to it as much as I wanted to control. I also wanted those moments of out of control. So as much as I like wasn't eating, I would then go and have a binge purge. Um, but I, it was really in the eating disorder group and then leaving the eating disorder group that my bulimia um, became most rampant. And then I, you know, I'm just going to be fully honest. I was continuing to binge and purge, even as I started to teach yoga, even as I started to preach health. Even mm -hmm. as I, you know, would stand at the front of a room and, you know, be a, uh, you know, a guide for people on their wellness journeys, I would spend my Fridays to Sundays, you know, over the toilet. And it was moving up here to be with my husband when I was 34 that I finally was able to stop binging and purging every single weekend because it mm -hmm. had been every weekend from early twenties until I, I came up here around 33, 34. And I, you know, oh. I believe that part of what helped with that was, or helped as I'm making air quotes was that, you know, we, we started really partying on the weekends and that 
kind of took the place, you know, um, just, it was, we were single and, and enjoying, mm-hmm. but it was, um, when I got pregnant with my, with the first child, which we lost that, that was, you know, that was the time when I was like, finally, you know, this was about four years ago, four and a half years ago where I was like, okay, you know what? Like this, this needs looking at this needs honest. This is with the darkness, right. That we mm-hmm. were talking about. I was trying to run away from it in all the ways, workaholism, you know, alcohol, And that was the time where I finally said, stop, let's bring this into the light. And I started sharing my story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, and, uh, congratulations. I don't know. That's not the right word, but (laughs) again, you know, the, the, I mean, there are like somebody who I follow on Instagram that I love, um, her food photography and her food. I mean, she shared, uh, this week that, um, you know, as she did one of her like intro posts again. She had a 15 year eating disorder journey that nobody knew about. Mm. And so this is, I mean, what you're saying and the fact that you hit it and you stood up in front of people and you're sharing with them how to be well and you're not well, it's not an uncommon story. Like I know for me, when I, you know, I had my, I kind of, I had the eating disorder in college and it was kind of like, yeah, kind of done at the end. I went on and I became a nurse and worked and, you know, it kind of nothing major in the way of therapy and things like that. And it seemed to be done. Right. But then as I was in what I do, you know, and sharing wellness with others and giving people the opportunity to make choices and, um, and help people lose weight and get healthy, like it reared its ugly head for me. And like one day, like out of the blue at a conference, when we started talking about when the people from stage started talking about, weight loss and, and helping people lose weight. And we're going to be, we're going to be the examples. And even if we have to set a new goal or something and go in the expo and, and, and take your weight and you can put up, you know, you can go behind the white curtains and, and take and weigh yourself and, and then put your goal on the goal board and all of that. I mean, mm-hmm. I still remember sitting in that seat, like feeling like I was starting to sweat. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't do that. And going into that expo and it's like, it started spinning around, it seemed like, you know, because I was like, and I was like, what is happening? But it was that fear and that, I don't know, it it was, took me back to, it took me back to those days of weighing myself multiple times a day and like, and, but I'm like, oh, I'm past that. But I was like, okay, but I couldn't step on the scale either at this conference. I'm like, I can't do that. And these wonderful friends of mine came around me and and we went into the curtains together and um, they started sharing their stories of their abuse and their body image and their, I mean, we all together, when you talk about that weight loss camp, there is that power in community that we can be together and we can share our stories and we feel like we're not alone then and we can support each other in that. And that's what happened in that little curtain area. But I say that because- I love what I get to do. I love that I get people, help people create a new normal in their life. That's a healthier version and that we can make healthier choices or we can just live a more present, healthy life and paying attention to all of that. And it's been a great business, but I've had to get real about how I, how I feel about me and my body and how I want that message to go out to the women that I help. You know, that it's not going to be about, you know, 
again, the scale and the way, the size that you fit in and all of that. But I've had to, again, I say that because the, I thought it was over and then things just keep, you know, they kept popping up here and there um, that I had to, you know, that I, that I had to work through and understand what my message was going to be. And you put me in a ballroom dance studio and you're supposed to go in front of the mirror and like do all of that stuff. Mm. Talk about body image issues coming up again. I was like, holy shit, where did that come from? So I think it is this journey that goes along and sometimes it's hidden in the darkness, like you said, and sometimes things just bring it out to the light and then, okay, are we going to, are we, how are we going to choose to, to deal with, with that? Anyway, that's my long response to what you, what you shared. No, I appreciate that. It makes me think about like, you know, the, when I, I don't say that I'm a recovered anorexic, I say that I'm a recovering anorexic, even though I'm not underweight currently, I think the DSM, um, which is the diagnostic st- statistic, what is it? Di- it's, anyway, it's what, uh, what yeah. psychologists and psychiatrists use um, to diagnose people. I think they've taken the weight, there used to be a weight component to the anorexia diagnosis where mm-hmm. you had to be like 30% underweight. But I think they've since removed that because as we're learning and, you know, you can read in New York times articles, the size of our body is not related, you know, not solely related to mm-hmm. our ch- daily choices and that there is a large group of people that would be considered obese according to the scale. And I like, again, let's use air quotes. Cause I think the BMI, I got it. That's a whole separate podcast. Oh, yeah. Myra. Right. I'll come back exactly. for that one. Um, but there are a lot of people out there that are in larger bodies that are starving themselves and that are, you know, that would be categorized as an anorexic. So anyway, you know, but when I, like, you know, I used to think like that it had to do with my weight or, you know, that it had to do with currently restricting, but I see anorexic tendencies in how I live my life and the ways that I restrict, uh, you know, pleasure and the ways that I restrict, you know, any kind of uh, like looseness or flexibility in my schedule, you know? Um, So I like to say recovering, I do think it's a spectrum. I think it's constantly changing. And I think that if you have a history of that, or, you know, it's, it's in the, the system, the family system that we will have flare ups at times and that, that that's okay. It's like, it's always dormant, right. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's still a part of us. It will always be a part of us and it'll come out in different ways. So that's why I like to say recovering instead of recovered, though I may Mm -hmm. not be actively, uh, you know, in my illness. Right. No. And, but I also like what you said, you said that your eating disorder informs your, it informs your decisions that you make right every day. And so I think that that's a really good way to, look at it or bring light to it too. Cause I, I, I get that. Cause I get that, that there was, and it was this, like, again, a spectrum. If I think about my own journey of, yeah, the eating disorder informed my decisions really strongly at this period of my life, but then in this period, not so much. And I've had to learn to, again, figure that out for myself because I was way past that. But, but again, to this point, I was like really realizing more and more that like, yeah, am I, is, are my behaviors, again, they may not be the restrictive that I had before, but what are these other things that I'm doing, be it with the choices that I, the choices in food or the activities that I'm a part of. Um, But I also like that. I'm going to continue to think about that and journal about that. Just again, our other behaviors, like with pleasure and with, um, because I, that made me think of my, my mom too. We always, Again, I, yeah, it 
very interesting that just came just popped up thinking about my mom because we would a couple of times joked about her i mean bless her heart she's passed two years as of yesterday but um but when when she would have people over to her house for family occasions she just never wanted us to help her with anything you know it wasn't like come on mom we'll help we'll bring some appetizers or we'll help you in the kitchen it was always like that was her thing and she taught me that to not ask for help so i've talked about that plenty of times on this um that i've learned to ask for help and it's okay to ask for help and i'm still capable but um she wanted to do it all and so she wanted us to come in and like be on her schedule and it was there was again there was no like hey would you like something to drink even though it was our home we could get our you know but like guests or spouses or whatever and then it was we talked about that like she just it's almost like she was um what was the words we used but it maybe like restricting like there was only so much food right yeah there was never a whole bunch of appetizers there was never like some excess it was just mm -hmm. just enough and it was all we joked one time when we came home. It's like, it's kind of like the way she is. It's like, there's just enough food. There's just enough love. There's just enough thing. It's just, you know, there's no no abundance, no like thing. It can't be anything. It just all has to be. And again, that was her, whatever it was, that was her behavior. I think it was part of that big part of control. She wanted to have control of the schedule and the food and and she wanted to get the she wanted to get the meal out of the way so she could relax and then open gifts with her grandkids or something like that. Yeah. So it was all part of yeah. her way of controlling things. But I, so again, I think that that's something that I want my audience to hear um, to think about that. If you're in the midst of, or if you had that, you know, there are again, it's not just our eating, um, but it is our activities and just that again, perhaps keeping us from pleasure or restricting. I don't know. I think that's brilliant what you said because I think there's a lot of that. Again, we look so much, as we've talked about on this podcast, it's not about the food, right? It is not about the food. It's about so many other things. That's the misconception, right? That, that you know, everybody thinks it's about body. And, and of course, there is a body distortion. There is an obsession with body that goes hand in hand when your eating disorder is, you know, rampant. So it becomes about the body. It becomes about the food. You get food obsessed often because you're malnourished too, right? Like that's just like a primal, yeah. like you're, yeah. you know, if you're starving, of course you're obsessing. And so, you know, like, especially in my like, you know, deepest, deepest restrictive days, I was so excited for the next meal because that was, you know, I was hungry. I, I really mm -hmm. think that had something to do with it. So I was constantly obsessing about where I was getting my next meal, much like an addict obsesses about where they're going to get their next fix. But I do think that the misconception is we we hear eating disorder, we assume it's, a, you know, obviously it says it in the name, it's a disorder of eating, but ultimately they're all about control. Right. They're all about control. And there's a reason that 12 step programs, you know, which are so wonderful. And I highly encourage people to check out OA, or I think there's another one, OA is Overeaters Anonymous. Um, people of, you know, with all identities can go there. It's not just for binge eating. You can go, mm -hmm. you know, as an anorexic and a bulimic or subtypes. Um, but I, you know, I think those kind of programs are so helpful because they all kind of get to that same underlying thing, which is, you know, this feeling of, you know, lack of control, this emptiness, you know, that we're constantly trying to fill inside of ourselves with these external things. And, you know, how can you use your community and the belief in something greater than yourself to be able to, you know, both surrender and mm -hmm. learn, you know, where you can lean and, and that you are supported because it's both. 
Brought to you by Gorski Wellness and the possibility of a better you. Are you feeling sluggish? Ready for a change? Need more energy? Up for a bigger challenge? I'm Moira Gorski, retired nurse and wellness advocate. For over 22 years, I've been helping people live healthier lives while making small changes each and every day. Those small changes lead my clients to living a healthier lifestyle with markedly better health. As a brand ambassador for the Shackley Corporation, the most clinically proven wellness company in the world, I guide my clients to make healthier choices each day with their food, supplements, skincare, workouts, and mindset. They say getting started is half the battle. Let's make healthy happen together. If you're ready for simple, natural, sustainable solutions to feeling and looking your best, let's connect. You'll find a link in the show notes or reach out to me at moiragorski.com. Here's to a better you. How did yoga come into play and how did you um, kind of create this idea or the yoga for parenting? I mean, just tell me <laughs> how yoga came into the the picture and how you've, you know, used that in your own life and recovery. And Well, yoga, it's interesting. You know, it actually started as a joke. My dad had sent me a VHS. I turned, it was my 19th birthday and I was a sophomore in college. So it was like 2001. And he had sent me a VHS tape as a joke to be like, oh, you know, you know, you're getting up there. Now you got to start doing more exercise because I was just not interested in physical activity at all. (laughs) I always I was a writer. I was a creative. I was always in my brain like that was my favorite thing to do. Um, so, you know, when I did it, uh, it, we, I remember doing it in our dorm room with my roommate who fun fact now is also a yoga teacher and a phenomenal one at that. Who's up in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Her name is Allison Duckworth, a little shout out that we would like, we started doing this video and we're like, this is amazing. We loved it. We loved it. It just felt so good in our bodies. And, you know, I always had that kind of like, you know, I was always intrigued by Eastern philosophy. I, you know, I kind of had the like, you know, I don't want to say hippie because that's not even the, you know, the word, but that, you know, I, I, that I was into alternative medicine, you know, which at the time it was very alternative. Now it's, Mm -hmm. you know, of course more mainstream, but I, I, so it just fit, it just fit. And then, you know, of course, when, you know, my junior and senior years, when my food obsession was, was skyrocketing, I got a little too obsessed with it. Um, you know, where I like had to do a video every day and, you know, was expanding the videos that I was seeing. And, um, but something that I found about the yoga practice was, you know, as the years went on and I was obviously continuing to binge and purge in my early twenties, the yoga room was the first place that I had ever looked at my body and thought, wow, you're powerful or that's amazing, Sarah. You know, I mean, of course, in the very beginning, I would like, you know, see rolls and you do these shoulder stands and I'm like, you know, judging everything. But I I had never in my life had an experience where I was comfortable in my body and proud of what I was doing. And it happened in a yoga room. And I don't remember if it was a specific day. I don't, you know, I like to, you know, the writer in me is like, and then there was one day where a voice came be like, I don't think it happened like that. I think it was many different days, but I, I just remember feeling good in my body for the first time in existence, you know, maybe since I was like three or four hmm. and it, it was a miracle, you know? And, and so there was these brief reprieves anytime I was on my mat 
where I was comfortable in my skin and I was proud of my body and I was good at yoga. I was very good at it, you know, from the, and, and when I say good at, at it, I'm talking about the physical postures. Yoga is a, is a much bigger concept of connection and awareness, but the physical poses I were, it was good for my body. And I was like, wow, you know, it felt nice to excel in something. It felt really nice to feel strong. It felt nice to be in a dedication practice, you know, because there was a commitment to it. And yeah, I mean, I, and then, you know, I'll just be honest, it, it got a little obsessive. It got to the point where it, it, it moved away from something that was nourishing and healing. And it became something that I had to do every day. I, it, you know, my, my hour long practice very quickly morphed into a two hour, two and a half hour. It had to be six days a week. My diet was really austere so that, you know, it was all about the poses and um, it, it took over my life in a lot of ways, but, you know, again, I think it, I had to go to that place of extreme to pull back. And, you know, then, as I mentioned, I met my husband and that was really it, part of the withholding of pleasure, by the way, like an example of withholding pleasure is that I would, I would choose not to date so that I didn't have to deal with going out at night because I mm. wanted to get up at five in the morning and do my practice, mm. or I wouldn't eat the cake. I wouldn't eat certain foods because they were inflammatory because I needed to bind the next day, which is when you like wrap your arms around right. whatever. But I, you know, I had a whole experience with a healer and my dog dying. And, you know, she's like, you got to start putting yourself out there. And that's when I met my husband. That's a, that's a different podcast mm. too. And a, and a longer story. But um, when, you know, he was, it was the first time I started to skip my practice on in the mornings, you know, for, in a long, long time. And the first time that I didn't do the series that I always do, I just did a little movement for 20 minutes and I, I started to let in balance. And suddenly my mat really became, you know, it, it returned to what it was in the beginning. It became that place that held me, that protected me, that nourished me. And it has continued to be that way. For the last eight years and and now you know especially postpartum it's you know being pregnant on my mat and you know watching my body change i don't go there to beat myself up anymore i i go to my mat to be held and to to feel like i'm back home again and it's just mm -hmm. a place where i you know I, I i will be honest i don't feel beautiful in the same way right now on the mat i i do feel glimpses of strong strength i do feel like my body just is so different right now. I've lost a lot of my flexibility. I'm much stronger. So I feel more powerful in other modalities, actually. Like when I go for a hike or when I'm doing like a hit training, high intensity interval training, mm -hmm. those things I feel powerful. My yoga practice is now much more of a place where I just go to feel good. And, you know, I feel like held and I just move my body. But, you know, I, when I go down the rabbit hole of like what I used to look like, what I used to be able to do, it can, it, it's, you know, it's definitely not that anymore, but it's always evolving. Yeah. And I'm just really honest with it. And I, and I just catch myself. I'm like, okay, you're being hard on yourself. Like go do something that feels better, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. And then with the yoga of parenting, it was just a, a you know, a, an evolution as I became a mom, I wanted to marry these two together. They, they really helped one another. And how can I share that with the world? Mm -hmm. Is the book more about yoga or just how your yoga principles relate to life? I mean, I've noticed that when I went into ballroom dance, like ballroom dance is like a metaphor for my life. Yes. And so yes. I continue to what I learned there about surrendering and trusting. I'm 
learning, you know, I'm doing that in my own life too, not just on the dance floor. So yeah, tell us 100%. a little bit more about the book. And you, you will get your book. I got your address. Okay. So you will, you okay, will good. be getting Thanks. your book in a couple of weeks. You were on my friends and family list. Um, yeah, the book, so the book is actually, it, it's a blend of a bunch of different things. It is personal story. It is interviews that I've done. So it's other people's stories from a bunch of different parents uh, that are in, that are, that have a wellness practice. They don't, they're not necessarily yoga teachers because there's some people that are students, but people that have been practicing yoga and how that has woven into their parenting. There is mention of poses, but just more again, as a metaphor for what the greater lesson is. And then there's the greater subject. So every chapter is a different subject. One is boundaries, one is energy, like energy management. Um, you know, how do we, how do we fill our tanks? What does that look like? Another one is, you know, all about what we've been talking about today, which is how do your challenges inform your strengths? So um, it's it's a bunch of different modalities together. I also then tie it all together with science-backed research because a lot of the things that, you know, these ancient yogic texts were have been touting for millennia have now been proven through brain research, through well-designed studies. So tying, you know, and, and basically it's born into psychology, right? Like so much mm -hmm. of that really became what we now know as psychology and the study of the mind. So um, yeah, it's all kind of woven together into this little package of, you know, just really tying it together so that people become more aware of how they're showing up for their families um, by really becoming aware of how they're showing up for themselves first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I can't wait to get it and to read it. It sounds, it sounds great and uh, sounds awesome. And, you know, I love that the fact that you could come back to yoga because I've seen others my daughter included, where sometimes she would, again, she, there was a time that the two of us went to yoga together and we enjoyed this beautiful time together. And then she did that very thing. Oh, I'm going to stay for a second class. And then she would, you know, it got obsessive and she isn't ready yet. She told me to get back to, you know, to her mat or to get back to the studio. Um, you know, she's seeing that in some other ways too, but she's becoming aware of that, that she's like, okay, I got to take a little bit of a break because it's getting too obsessive. And so the fact that you can go back there, because I found that it doesn't matter at all, but I still can't do a handstand or a headstand um, in yoga, but I'm pretty strong. But I just recorded an episode solo uh, earlier this morning about my experience at church um, with Easter. And you'll have to listen to it when it comes out. But um, I said that I hadn't been to church recently um, and it wasn't about church and religion, but regardless, but because I've been going to yoga and yoga has been my place of just like you said, like going to the mat and being supported and finding balance. And I love the studio that I go to because it's a little dark and it's really hot. And oh, I just love to be there in this dark, warm room for that very reason, to be able to realize my strengths. And I do it also to you know, really stretch out and it's helping with my dancing and with life and stuff like that. But to just be, I feel safe on the mat. Like you said, I love that you brought that up. I feel safe there. I feel held. Um, I feel supported there. Um, and it's been a beautiful place. And I, you know, I have many episodes of people that have found yoga during their, their journey of life. And it has, it's been, yours is a little bit different, but again, uh, but it's, again, it's a place like, it's a beautiful story of how you found that yoga was a place that um, you felt strong and you saw like, wow, you are pretty amazing 
it's a beautiful thing. Again, I think yoga is just a great thing, just similar. And then I'm sure that it has taught you and it can teach others so much about, you know, how you show up on the mat. We need to think about how that's reflected in our, in our, in our life. Well, I think that's the work, right? Is, is when we start, it's really appealing to go to a place where all the external distractions are, you know, closed out. They are often darker rooms. There's, you know, usually few decorations, you know, I mean, obviously there'll be like a mural or a plant perhaps, but Mm -hmm. you know, your, your eyes aren't being drawn to clutter or, you know, bookshelves or, you know, a bunch of different things. You are asked to silence your phones and, you know, even your Apple watches, you're, you're stepping into this hyperbaric chamber of, you know, where, where where it's sense withdrawal, uh, you know, that we talk about in yoga about withdrawing your senses, but the question starts to become, how can you replace this off of the mat? Because it's much easier to meditate in that kind of a setting than it is when your toddler is laying face down on the floor, kicking his legs and screaming, or, you know, something major is going on with your teenager. So, you know, we have to learn there, right? It's like learning mm-hmm. the scales uh, on the piano. We're not going to just immediately be able to play in a in an orchestra or play a concerto, but can you play concertos with on the piano? I think you can, right? I think concerto yeah, is just like yeah. the ticket. Anyway, we'll look that yeah. up. Let us know. Yeah, Let us right. know on the in the social. Um, but but yeah, you have to start to practice. And and so that's what it is. It's like, you know, in those settings, you're practicing your scales of mental acuity. So mm-hmm. that when you step outside, how do you continue to stay connected to your breath and your, you know, the feelings of your body? These things that are really just tools, you know, they're all just tools for us mm-hmm. to be more present. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, I grew up, I don't know if you know that, but I grew up playing classical music on the piano. Okay. <laughs> and so I had plenty of days of playing scales and runs and those kind of things. And it's, it, it makes complete sense because we play that, we do that same thing in ballroom dance. We do the pattern over and over again. So we have that muscle memory so that when we're in a competition, when we're in a recital, when we're in real life, where you set, like you said, your toddlers throwing a tantrum, your daughter's being, t- you know, you get the phone call from the, from the, you know, high school, or you get the phone call from the eating disorder place. And your daughter's been taken to the ER because she tried to run and she was, you know, what, whatever the case is, we practice there so that we can be stronger in life. And I, and it's really, I want that message to come clear again, be it that you choose yoga or dance or whatever, but that's what I really, like, I remember when I first, my wonderful first yoga teacher, Laura Nosek, shout out to her, who was down in, in Austin. That's what I didn't get in the beginning when she talked about being present and let's be present here. And I was like, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> like, I don't know how to do yeah. that, but that's what we want to you know, and just like to tie it back to the beginning, like how can we be in a joyful place in our life so that we can be present here to experience life and and to its fullest, to the ups and downs and everywhere in between, but how can we really be be present there? So, and just real quick, like I would like to redefine, I think maybe, maybe it's the word presence that gets people um, you know, that, that gets the, like, people almost are like a little resistant to it because it sounds like it's a fixed state, but my teacher, Annie Carpenter has started to turn it into a verb. So she calls it presencing. And I really appreciate that because Mm. really it's, it's awareness. That's what mindfulness is. It doesn't mean that you're like frozen and like in a seated position with your eyes closed and oming. It just means that wherever your attention is going, 
you are choosing to place your attention on that thing. And when your attention wanders as it's going to do, because you know that's the mind and, and we have different senses pulling our attention all the time. How do you continue to choose to bring it back to the thing that you want to bring it back to? Mm-hmm. And you know that if that's joy, then let it be joy. Right. Yeah, that's great. It's great. Um, I know we're running up against a schedule here, so we're going to finish off for today, but uh, I wish we had longer time to chat, but we will. We will continue our conversation. So I really appreciate this. Please tell uh, my listeners where they can find you and connect with you. Okay. Well, I'm everywhere, but I'm probably most active on Instagram, which is Sarah Ezrin Yoga. Um, and I assume we'll, we'll add all this in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And then yep. I had, I have a special code for your listeners. So if you want to order um, the yoga of parenting directly off of Shambhala's website, and I'll send um, Moira the link for that, use the code YP, like yoga parenting 30, YP 30, and you'll get 30% off. Um, yep, also, you. you can just find me on my website, www.sarahezrinyoga.com. And please reach out. I always love to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that, that code. Again, I can't wait to get the book. It sounds, it sounds great. And um, I love when people take um, what they've learned and put it into some form that can be shared with the world. And I believe what the books, we do that. Um, and uh, I think it's great that you did that. I can't, can't wait to read that. So um, again, any last words, Sarah, I'm just, again, so grateful and very honored that you had the time uh, to join me today to share your message. Well, I just want to thank you for having me. And again, thank you for all that you're doing. And, you know, like I said, it's, we'll go back to the very beginning, which is often when we're in the dark periods and maybe for the people that are listening that are in that right now, you know, we are just clawing our way to get to the light, but you just keep going forward, keep walking forward one foot in front of the next. And then you're going to start to see it. Those little cracks of light as they come through. And when your eyes adjust to the joyous moment on the other side, it's going to be that much brighter and that much more beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for being here again. And um, thank you listeners for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Hey there, ready to live a more joyful life? Considering connecting with someone who can help you? If so, I'd like to be that person. I offer a free consultation where we determine where the chaos is in your life and how you can learn to bring more joy each and every day. Visit my website, moiragorski.com, or simply email me, moira at moiragorski.com, with more joy in the subject line. I look forward to connecting, and I'm here to say, there will always be some chaos, which requires a little juggling, but you can find joy and live your life intentionally filled with that joy. Let me help you on your journey to joy, and that's joy, the journey of you.